here are some fun facts about the javelin. In flight, they can travel at speeds of up to 113 kilometers an hour. In 1912, the two-handed javelin format was contested at the Olympics. More on that later. And Finland has a population of just 5 million, but has produced six Olympic men's javelin champions, more than any other nation. Here's a less fun fact about the javelin. In 2016, Team GB wasn't represented at all in the event at the Olympics, the first time this has happened since 1932, a sad and significant occasion for a former throwing powerhouse. So here at Baxter HQ, we are going to get to the bottom of that today, along with the help of a few legends of the discipline. I'm Claire. I'm Jodie. I'm Bayo. And we're going to throw straight over to Jodie to explain just why this episode has come about and who it is joining us today. So on Twitter the other day, one of our followers called TrackFan666 um, did an analysis of um, the road to Tokyo. If you go on the IWF website, there's a, there's a uh, section there called Road to Tokyo, which tells you who's qualified, who's got the qualifying standard and who is in the qualifying positions based on rankings. And he ana- analysed that Javelin is by far Britain's worst event. We have no one in the top 100 in rankings. 166th is our best man and 104th is our best woman. And you compare that to the other throws, which historically have not been as successful as a javelin. We have many more people who are either in qualifying positions or much higher up the rankings. And so that just got me thinking about the javelin, the, our history in the javelin. And for 30 years, from the late 70s till the 2000s, we had some of the best javelin throwers in the world. Tessa, Fatima, Dave Otley, uh, Mick Hill, and our two guests today, Steve Backley, multiple medalist, four times European champion, three times Commonwealth champion, Olympic silver, two times silver and bronze medalist, um, world record holder. Um, so all, all, the, all the accolades you could possibly want. And Goldie, um, who is obviously our most recent Javelin Olympic medalist, which she, she won in 2008, but only received in 2017 or 18. Um, so we have two Javelin legends from the UK here today, and they're going to help us get to the bottom of if there is a problem in British Javelin, is it a structural problem, what it is and how we can solve it. So welcome to the Backstraight Boys, guys. Thanks for joining us. Hey, guys. Good morning, um, so just quickly, um, I just wanted to say before we start, we're not here to attack current javelin throwers. People do the best they can with the resources that they have. But we'd really like to kind of get to the bottom of, is there an issue? And if maybe there's a way that we can help support them going forward. And also, we're not here to say that every event we have to win a gold medal in every time. But it would be nice to have someone who's competitive, someone who's getting in the team, getting close to getting to the team, someone that we can support at a major championships. And Apart from you two guys, in this century, I think Mervyn Luckwell um, in 2009 and 2012 and uh, Nick Neeland are the only two people to have even qualified for a championships since 2004. So just quickly, um, speaking to you guys, Steve and Goldie. Steve, let's start with you. How did you get into the javelin in the first place? Wow, crikey. Um, that's a <laughs> long time ago, Jody. I, um, I was an athlete, and, and as we know, the javelin is the hardest discipline. Yeah, let's, let's just put that. <laughs> Can I prove it? This is, I've got proof, okay? You ready for this? So what, look at this, right? So evolution, right? <laughs> We've got sprinters here. We've got middle distance. <laughs> Long distance. I think these are pole vaults. I'll let you make your mind up. But clearly, we're the highest evolved. Um, I started out somewhere down the chain. I was. I think I started. Actually, I jumped in here, middle distance. I, I, I wanted to be a runner. I was a product of the Ovet co-cram mm. successes of the early eighties, 
loved athletics, inspired by the Olympics and wanted to wanted to go be part of it and uh, realised I couldn't run. So I picked a spear up. Yeah. That was it. The rest is history. And what about you, Goldie? Um, a little bit opposite to Steve, well not opposite, but I came from a team sport background and I used to watch the Olympics desperate to compete for my country at sport, but used to watch athletics and think there is absolutely no way in hell that I will be able to compete for Great Britain in athletics because I was always running and jumping and wasn't, you know, that great at those and just felt there was a lack of kind of creativity with it because um, I love team sports and playing sport with my mates until I was handed a javelin to take home over the school Easter holidays, aged about 13, which obviously wouldn't happen now for health and safety, but I'm <laughs> And um, so I spent those Easter holidays lobbing a javelin around. So um, that was how it started for me. And I was suddenly transfixed with how to get this really awkward implement to fly a long way. Um, and then happened to kind of you know, find a, a good coach through sheer coincidence quite early on in my career. And and that was really the start for me. Can I ask both of you, because obviously you've had great success and were high profile in the event for a, a, a long period of time, but that doesn't seem to have influenced or um, brought on a succession of, of new sort of kids coming into the sport. I wondered, especially Goldie, but maybe, were you um, back in the day when we had Tessa and um, Fatima winning everything there was to win? You know, between them, they won Olympic gold, Olympic world, European and silver. Um, were you, as a kid, did you, were you aware of this? Were you inspired by, by them or was that a bit before your time? Um, it was. I know I look old, but um, no, it was a little bit before <laughs> my time, those guys. But, but Steve and Mick and, you know, Nick Neal and Mark Robeson, I was around those mm. guys from quite an early age and, and very inspired by them. And obviously Steve and Mick were regularly, you know, shown on TV, which I think is really important. Hmm. Um, but yeah, it, it doesn't really seem to have translated further on to more people um, doing it and, and getting to chance, as you mentioned. Which is interesting because we talk a lot on, on this um, show about the, especially the women's middle distance at the moment and how we think we can, um, put that success back to Kelly. You know, everyone we've had on, every women's middle distance runner we've had on this show has said Kelly um, Holmes was their inspiration. And it is interesting that another event we've had so much success in, we don't hear that, you know, people don't seem to have picked up a javelin because of Goldie or because of Steve, or maybe if they did, it hasn't translated into the success that we may have, we may have wished for. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, um, it's so important to, you know, if you can't see it, you, you can't be it yeah. or you can't imagine it. Um, I think, you know, there is a slight accessibility issue in terms of if a, a talented kid goes to a club knowing they can throw or might have tried it at school, there isn't always a javelin coach at that club. And it, it is a technical event and one in which you can plateau quite easily if you don't know what you're doing. And it's, it is actually a very, very unnatural movement. So it's not very intuitive as, you know, how to throw a javelin like it is a ball so I think that has quite a lot to do with them. It is famously one of the trickier events I dare say Steve there are people listening who would uh, disagree with your assessment of it as the hardest <laughs> of the events but do you think maybe then if we start with this as the first obstacle to a succession of successful British javelin throwers do you think it's just the sport itself that is the that initial barrier? Is it the sport itself? Do you know what I I, I think there's um to get to the bottom of this, I, I think we've almost got to look back at how we were successful in the first place. Okay. And I think that kind of, that, that creates a bit of an understanding of the culture that was around in the 
successful times in the 90s and the 2000s and the 80s even we were, we were successful and if you go back I mean I was inspired also and I mentioned Cohen Ovet but very much that rivalry between Tessa Sanderson and Fatima Whitbread mm. in the early 80s um, obviously Tessa Olympic champion in 84 um, you know the rivalry the the, um, the world championships from 83 I still remember that the first ever world yeah, championship yeah. Helsinki and Petra Felk on the last throw. I mean, it was Tina so... Lelak, Steve. Tina Lelak, good man. Um, <laughs> last round and, and five million screaming fins. As you, as you, yeah. As you, um, it was incredible. And then obviously world champion Fatima. And, you know, they, they were great times. I think the product of that and, um, you know, as we've just been saying, that's, that's essential for success. And then through the 80s, we had some great coaches around. Um, but I think someone, you know, I'm slightly biased. I know Goldie was helped by John Trower. And John mm. was glue. John, John in the 80s, he had a, a car accident. Actually, his own career was cut short. But that was a time when, you know, Dave Otley, Dave Travis, you know, there was a lot of successful throwers and there was an upswell. And John became this sort of catalyst, almost the glue that pulled everyone together. You know, he, he, I remember going on training camps. We shared knowledge and we developed a way of doing it, you know, even to the point where if you saw, you know, you mentioned a few of the throwers there, but... You know, it's myself and Mick and Neeland and even Dave Otley, Mark Robeson, and then going for Gary Hinson, Nick Neeland. Uh, more recently, we we ran at the events, and so did Goldie, by the way. We ra- sorry, ran at the throw, and that's that's maybe for for the non-twin throwers who are listening to that. That's maybe um, needs explaining. I won't go into that too much, but we had a style that we were able to replicate and build, and that's, that's what I did. And the coaches around, you know, Wilf Page coaching Tessa and Margaret Whitbread coaching Fatima were, were initiating that. But John Trower really was the person who got that going. And what I think happened, unfortunately, and, and this is going to work a little, mm-hmm. in the run-up to 2012, the event was dismantled because we, in, in our wisdom with the funding, we, we brought in outside knowledge and the culture of the event went you know, John Prowl was side, he was the glue. So we had this cake with no egg in it, you know, and it fell apart. So all that momentum um, is gone. And, and we had, the talent goes, the knowledge goes, and, and the event lost its way. And that, that took 20, 30 years to get going. And it's going to take a long time to get going again. I don't know if you agree with that, Goldie, that, that sort of assessment. Essentially, yeah. I mean, I was around, I was lucky to go to national squads quite young. I was quite talented, you know, at a young age. So I was around you guys from age 14, 15, going on training camps. And um, I think there is something, and if you see a javelin fly a long way, it sort of breaks that barrier in your head of, you know, 50 meters, 60 meters. If you're around, especially the guys, I always trained with men. So watching a javelin, you know, be thrown 70 meters regularly, it didn't become, this kind of awe-inspiring thing. It was it was kind of normal. And yeah, I think having people together, and I think that's what we've seen with middle distance is they have had a lot of funding, but they're all training together and going out to Kenya. And there's a lot of investment to be fair, and especially in that event group with the London Marathon and, and that kind of thing. And I think we're seeing the benefit of that now. But yeah, just, um, you know, getting people together is is really important. So one of the things, obviously, we've been thinking of different reasons and coaching was one of them. And the name that does come up is John Trower, who worked with Tessa, he worked with you, Steve, he worked with Goldie. And like, you can see the through line there. 
Do we have a national throws coach at the moment, and who is it? Um, good question. I don't know. That I is don't so know. indicative. <laughs> well, do you know what? I was literally just looking that up then, and I couldn't find. I couldn't find them. So I think but, it may come through the England yes. Athletics. Um, I know there is a event leads for a period. I think Mike McNeil was event lead for England Athletics, but I think that was then disbanded. And um, I think there's been different structures that, that kind of happen for a period of time and then get lost. And yeah, so I think the fact that we don't know is probably not a great thing. <laughs> wow. I mean, if you two don't know, then I think the three of us certainly don't stand a chance and then you know nine-year-old kids who fancy having a go at the javelin wouldn't have a clue where to turn I, do you think then ultimately this is an infrastructure problem yeah yeah and 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 the, the infrastructure was 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 dismantled you know it wasn't as to this lost way you know the, the the wisdom you know i talk about john traveling pushed to one side but no no offense to, to the individuals involved who were brought in but uh, a finnish coach was brought in because the Finns know best, and it was wrong. It was the wrong call. Uh, Finns throw heavy things all winter in minus 30 degrees indoors, and they get big and strong, and they hit the javelin very, very hard off a short approach. And, you know, I'm generalising. And we don't. And, and people got hurt, and, and it was the wrong call. Um, and, it, and it contradicted the culture that I sort of described earlier. And and that, therefore, they didn't just stall out it was actually di dissembled mm -hmm. and um that you know that sounds pretty dire you know well, it's pretty dire but it you know, that, that's the reason that's the reason you know that's why that that kind of all that knowledge and all that kind of um you know positive stuff that we learned in how to be was was broken it was it and, and the frustration is it wasn't just oh it was an accident it was intentionally i'm not saying it was there was intended that they broke it but what was done broke the event and it that, that it, i won i watched it happen and i told the people in charge at the time that's what they were doing and they still did it and here we are at the risk of this being an astonishingly stupid question but um, it just popped into my head hearing you speak about the fins there do you think that the event has evolved to a point where actually there is future success to come for the brits or do you think we're do you think that physically it's going to take a while for us to find a way to throw a javelin that is going to allow for international success it will take yeah it will take a while but it's still it's doable you know is there's no reason why we can't mm. reinvent um, you know go go again build you know build from the start again but it's it takes time you know the like kind of we we yourself mick mark neek uh, the people who were successful in the in the 90s was a product of definitely the great stuff, the great work in the 80s. You've got to say it's 10 years, I suspect, of, of building. So it's it's potentially 10 years away, I would I would imagine. Wow. We, obviously we came up with some other ideas of things that potentially are problems, just to ask you. And also we got some um, questions and some theories on Twitter. So I'm going to throw a few of them to you and see what your thoughts are. Um, Number, another one we talk about what is coaching is identifying talent um, and the talent that goes to other sports instead. And Dr. Dan asked us on Twitter, is it, is it, a, is it a pipeline issue? Um, kids, especially boys who might be good at javelin or discus or hammer indeed, tend to get funneled into rugby in the UK. No rugby in Germany or Poland or Finland. 
Um, hence dozens of excellent throwers. I generalise, but you get the picture. Does that make any sense? Okay. I mean, it could do. I think the, obviously with any sort of pyramid, you need a big base. And I wonder, yeah. you know, I, if I was a teacher at school, I perhaps wouldn't be overly eager to get 30 kids with javelins in their hands. And, <laughs> and so there's that expertise that might not be there as well. You know, I know that my school, the only reason I sort of got into javelins because we had school sports day and that doesn't happen anymore. So it is one of the sports that's much more difficult in many ways to organise. So I think it possibly is a numbers game. And yeah, you're right. I think, you know, tall, um, athletic guys, you know, may well go into other sports. But I think, you know, javelin throws are predominantly quite skillful. I think you need to be skillful as much as anything. And, and then, you know, athletic and everything else with it. But I think there is a an argument to say that you know when you go down to your local athletics club what your first impression and first session is like is really important and I think when you're a kid the social factor is quite important and having you know fun um and and as I mentioned just can you do javelin at your local club you know I was lucky in that I had um, a parent who was willing to drive me to training and that, you know, there are a lot of other factors and, and ultimately, you know, kids have to want to do it. It's all very well with talent ID. I think we've realized that that doesn't necessarily work because you might have this big strapping lad who looks like they might be athletic, but do they actually want to throw a javelin? Um, also, I think the idea that javelin throwers have to be really big it's not 100% true. I mean, Yanza Lesney wasn't particularly big. None of the women are, are particularly big. So are, have we historically been looking in the wrong places? Is it more about athleticism rather than size? Yeah, I mean, it helped. I mean, I would have, you know, loved to have been a bit taller, but yeah. <laughs> not too much about that. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, it, it really frustrates me when, especially in schools, it's like, oh, they're big, stroke, mm. slightly overweight, let's shove them in a throw when actually you have to be really quick and coordinated. And I think, you know, if you're going to talent ID anybody, I'd pick out a netballer or, or probably yeah, somebody who smashes a volleyball well, because that's exactly the same movement. Um, you know, Steve was sort of ideal for the event because you, you know, six foot five, but also incredibly skillful and bodily aware. So actually coming from a team sport background is really helpful. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And I, I do think that the, we, we're slightly you know, tail wagging the dog if we think we can just go and find people who are six foot five or five foot ten in the women's case um, and, and go, you can be a javelin thrower. It's, it's got to be the other way around. And, you know, the lid off the honeypot uh, metaphor is probably a better one. And, and, the, and the biggest, best, most skillful athletic people come find the event. And, and uh, you know, the challenge is, you know, some of the other competing events that you mentioned are being marketed very, very well. You know, the appeal to be a, a rugby player is probably as high as it's ever been. The clubs are well structured. There's good social around them. There's, you know, you've got that team environment, which I think is quite appealing, probably more than it's ever been for a, a young aspiring athlete in, with a, um, you know, in the general sense. So I, I think we're up against it to, to just get those talent in, in the first place to get the blank canvases before we then ha have the structures. So, um, yeah, it's an uphill battle. I think it's going to be an uphill battle going forward. Hi, my name is Carson Worrell and you're listening to the Backstreet Boys and Girl. I wanted to return to something that you just said, Goldie, about girls wanting to throw the javelin because 
but everyone's made this point now, there isn't necessarily a body type that's required, but there is a commonly held misconception that throwers are stocky and chunky and muscular. And I remember as a teenager going to athletics and my mum used to make jokes saying, I hope you don't pick up a shot put and get good at shot put. And I look back now and I cringe, but that was the way that throws were perceived back then. Do you think that there is some myth busting to be done that might encourage more young women to pick up a javelin? Oh, I'm sure, absolutely. I mean, I used to be, um, I'm sure when I was, you know, a teenager, I thought, God, if I have to do a lot of weight training, I'm going to get really muscly. And I had the opposite mm. problem. I was, it, it was impossible for me to sort of hang on to muscle or, or actually build muscle almost. Yeah, there are. I mean, it's, it's a very, you need to be, you need to be quick, um, skillful, primarily, you know, able to take on information, bodily aware. Um, you do have to be powerful and, and I, I wouldn't say you do have to be strong to a degree, but more powerful. Mm. um but it's it's such a graceful you know movement and and it's it is probably the opposite of what people think it is it's you know it's only for women 600 grams and men 800 grams so you don't you know you don't have to be a weightlifter to Mm. to throw something that's ultimately light it's just very awkward I saw Thomas Roller give an interview recently where he said that actually he throws more golf balls than he does javelins in his training because it is about dynamism and elasticity and it's about so much more yeah than how far you can heft something it's been very noticeable in recent uh, years that the female heptathletes from Holland from Germany can all throw 58 metres in, in the javelin, where we struggle to get an individual javelin thrower who can throw 50 metres. So is there something to do with the athleticism of multi-eventers? And also Tessa was the Commonwealth record holder in the heptathlon back in 1981. So is there something to do with the uh, athleticism of certain multi-eventers, um, multi-eventers um, that allows them to be good at the javelin? I, I, I would just, I know Goldie Goldman, I would just say it's because they give it more attention. They practice it quite simply. You know, a lot of our, the, the culture in this country in the heptathlon is very much sprint jump and you bolt on the javelin because sort of, you know, don't fancy doing that. Uh, you know, it's hard, you know, hard to work that out. Whereas, you know, overseas, they take, they, they, they give it the, the weighting that it deserves as Jess did, you know, Jess went and trained with Mick Hill. And I mean, others did as well. But yeah, historically, our heptathletes have not been mm. great at the javelin, <laughs> to say the least. I'm doing. I mean, it would be great to have a, you know, an ideal javelin throw would be a heptathlete who perhaps doesn't quite make it as a heptathlete if they could mm. throw a javelin. Um, so because it's effectively it's a run, a jump and a throw. So you yeah. need to be good at, you know, ideally you need to be quite good at all the kind of heptathlon events, really. We talk about that quite a lot on here about how people, we, we wish there are certain events that we're not that successful in, which could be probably transferable from people doing other events. So sprinters could maybe take up the, the triple jump, for example, or something so that um, there must be transferable skills, you know, and feels like we don't really do that enough in Britain, I, I think. I mean, we actually had a question about this on Twitter. Um, it said, as a general point, I don't think we're particularly good at encouraging teenagers to have a second event. How many American sprinters have a reasonable long jump PB? How many of ours do? And I think the collegiate system in America means you have to try out different events all through school. You're getting points for your team. Well, we don't here. We specialise in one thing and kind of stick to it, even if it's not really working. So is that something we could, for example, are there, and just talking about diversity as well. And I mean, historically, we've seen javelin throwing as being a kind of Northern European event. Um, which is big white people. I mean, but recently, especially in the, on the men's side, there's been a lot of success. Kenya have an Olympic champion. Grenada have a world champion. Um, 
uh, Trinidad and Tobago, Tobago Olympic yeah, champion have, have the Olympic champion. So do we in in the UK could we be looking towards different diverse backgrounds to take up throws? I mean, could sprinters, for example, big strong guys mm. do 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 javelin throwing rather than looking for rugby players? It's a good point, Jody, but. The challenge comes back to what we said before. It's it's the tail wagging the dog, you know. The mm. it's because it's a sociological thing, not a physiological thing. Mm. Yeah, so what I mean by that is, it's you know whatever demographic have to want to do it, and and there's a bit of a catch twenty yeah. of course because you know without a role model, um, you know, Julius Yego winning the world title was was fantastic. You know, he learned to throw watching videos on YouTube. It's just it's a it's a you know fairy tale story mm. um but i you know i don't necessarily you know there's no physiological reason for that but it, but it, it is purely you know sociological we need more role models we need more exposure um and, and you know the rest will fall into place you say that it's sociological and i, I think you're, you're you're right but i always feel like when there's an opportunity you know if you're not if you're third not even third rank like third tier sprinter or or something wouldn't it be better to be the first in the best in Britain. At least you'll be making teams. You can make you can make the um you can go to a championship rather than maybe not getting into the relay team. I always feel like there's an opportunity there that people don't are, are too reluctant to to t- pick up on, which means they could have the success that they're they're wanting. It would just be in a different event. Maybe it's probably easier to get in the relay team than be a javelin thrower. To be honest, <laughs> <laughs> definitely. <laughs> <They're funding. laughs> Let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Jody, Jody just got taken off really funded. <laughs> that is. Be on funding still for another two years. Don't worry about it. Uh, yes. <laughs> so, Steve, you're currently sporting, bless you, an absolute shiner on your forehead from walking into a tree. So, let's cover that up with a crown, and it's a crown that gives you the power to change the landscape of British athletics. Goldie, you can have one too. What would you two then be doing to make the javelin the hot event, the alluring discipline in British athletics so that we could, as you so beautifully put it, we could open that pot of honey? Oh, it's a good question. And do you know what? And it applies to every event. I think we have a, a horrendous brain drain of knowledge and skill and talent that when people retire, um, and it was actually going to be my question to Goldie, which in turn answers your question. How many people have come to you for coaching since you retired? Yeah, no, it's one of my big points is, is, I don't know if it's a generational thing, but the desire to ask people who've gone before them questions is sort of next to nothing. And it's always kind of really amazed it's me. When I was, you know, I, 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 you know, Steve mentored me throughout my career. I thought, well, there's someone who's done everything I want to do. I need to not make his mistakes and learn from him. Um, and I did the same. I remember, you know, on my first training camp in 2004, going into Athens, I remember being on a training camp with Denise Lewis. And I literally sat her in the bar for about five nights running, just saying, you know, tell me why you were so, you were so successful. And you learn more from... So you in the bar? I'm no, in the bar. As well. I'm in the bar. <laughs> in the bar. B-A-R, Steve. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, Steve got excited there, didn't he? Uh, yeah. <laughs> That was I'll a stick to my image. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, and, and yeah, it, it, it is quite amazing actually that, that like youngsters today, I, I don't know if it's a confidence thing, but they're just not really prepared to ask questions and, and you know, ask for advice because we're all happy to give it. I mean, we all, we all kind of want to give, 
give mm. advice, but no, you're not you're not really ah, oh, sadly. But to, to answer your question, Claire, I, I would round up the history or whoever's around to, to still share their knowledge. I would ask them for the one or two nuggets and I'd formulate a, 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 a you know an encyclopedia of of, of expertise. No, I don't think anyone's mm. ever done that and collated that. You know, what are the top two, three, five tips, whatever it is from Goldie Sayers to help develop the future? If we did that on mass, there's so much knowledge out there. Um, I know, you know Mark Robeson was very helpful to you, to you, Golden. And, and, you know, people like Mark, have, you know, dedicated their lives to the sport. Peter Yates from yesteryear. I mentioned John Troward, Dave Travis, Dave Otley. You know, the list endless. We should go and we should go and pull it out. It's all in their brains. Just just quickly, just because you've mentioned Mark Robeson, um, I was looking up some stats earlier, and at the 1998 uh, um, Europeans, so Steve won, Mick Hill came second, um, Mark Robeson came, I think it was fifth or sixth, and he threw 80, 84 metres, so he came sixth with 84 metres in 1998, his mm -hmm. best throw that year was actually 85 metres, so back in 1998 we had three throwers over 85 metres, which is kind of headed towards German territory, isn't it? Um, and Mark Robertson probably doesn't get the respect he deserves because he had <laughs> Mick and, and Steve ahead of him. I mean, what we would do for an 85-metre javelin thrower these days? He is. Um, he's helping Harry Hughes, who, you know, probably in, well, in my opinion, Steve, potentially his opinion, he's, he's kind of our best potential to have, yeah. a, you know, the next 80-plus-metre javelin thrower. But we need, you know, five yeah. of them to get one to throw 85, 90. Mm. It is the sort of strength and depth we're lacking. So for me, it's, it's just getting, you know, the raw material, the good athletes who want to do it. You need a good athlete, a good coach and, and a good environment. Goldie, you said that individuals haven't come to you to ask questions and the same, Steve, but has anyone in, in the authorities ever come to you and asked you to help to set up training to... Workshops or... To do anything? Steve's laughing. <laughs> Very sort of intermittently. I think the issue we've had, and I don't know... I'm sure like Joanna Coates is trying to change the landscape a bit, but you've got obviously British athletics and then England athletics in England, they're the ones responsible for development. Um, so it, it is, you know, whilst British athletics, I think people forget they're really only responsible for producing medals and the, the you know, Great Britain team, but you need the development sort of talent to get onto that team. Um, so if, well, probably not really. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> intermittently, you know, there used to be a few sort of get-togethers, but it just needs it does need a structure and a um, timetable and, and regular meetings. The reason I think the Germans do so well is because they get together every month, but they all go and and share sort of knowledge, and that's what we used to do. Um, and I, you know, and just lucky that I was around at that time. But also they did it for the hammer. I mean, not, not British athletics didn't, but who was it did the British hammer school um, that was like independently? A circle, wasn't it? Like Dicko was a big part of that. Dicko, yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. And they got hammer, and we have these I mean, very good hammer throwers, hammer throwers now. Two, two are in the qualifying positions for, for Tokyo on the men's side. And obviously Sophie Hitchin, she's not in the rankings, but if she can get back and um, she, we could expect her, she's a reigning bronze medalist. So if you can do it for an event like the hammer, which... I, I personally looks a bit more technical to me. I might be wrong. Um, and an event like the javelin, which is not just iconic, but it it's very accessible. I mean, not accessible literally, but like to to watch. Like everyone can pick up a stick and throw it. Everyone can imagine throwing a spear. It kind of it feels like a much more natural thing than the hammer. 
So I just, I, it just is perplexing to me that we don't have anybody trying to, trying to get this event back on its feet. I think the other thing, Jody, I think you made some good points there, but what, what I would um, just sort of highlight, I think in athletics, what tends to happen is, you know, it isn't, a, it's not a team event, you know, whether we like it or not, it's, mm. it's kind of silos that work. And, you know, you, you, you might have, um, you know, uh, Laura, Laura Muir with Andy Young up in Scotland, you, you know, Scott Simpson with, with Holly in the pole vault, you know, these are, their partnerships and teams that work together is separate to each other. And even within the event, you know, we've mentioned a bunch of people, they all had their own little nucleus of, of expertise with a facility and, and then maybe bolts onto that and they prosper because of that, but it's in its silo. And I think we've got to recognize that and encourage it. It shouldn't be a, you know, one nice ball you go into a, it's not a sheep dip approach to, to development. Um, and, and, you know that makes it more complex and hard to 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 you know, <laughs> create and rebuild, but but that's how it's always worked. You know, Sophie Hitchin with Mike Winch is another example in the throws. You know, working as a public jokes, you know, helping out. You've got you know these these little that's silos that just for some reason they work, yeah. And we've got to encourage them. Hi, I'm Gemma Rike, and you're listening to the Backstreet Boys and Carol. So they might not function as sheep in terms of being dipped and coming out as ready-to-go javelin internationals, but sheep do operate better in herds. And we've talked about how competition internally is driving on our middle distance athletes and our road athletes and how exactly, as you said, gold, do we need strength and depth? And a really brilliant way to create that and perhaps also then to tie everything together and to allow legends of the sport to pass on their knowledge would be more competitions. The Highgate night of the 10K PBs is, I think, one of the best things that our calendar has produced in recent years. Do you think there is scope for a javelin equivalent, which could give the sport a bit more glamour, allow you guys to be passing on your advice and networking and meeting young up and coming athletes and just put it back on the map a bit? Yeah, I mean, there has been efforts with um, the javelin carnival. So that has been been done. And I think and hope it kind of carries on. Um, I do think, though, there is a little bit of a lack of, you know, asking those that have gone before what they did. And there's, you know, now, you know, I'm sort of, well, 10 years nearly out of being in any form. So all the kids now probably wouldn't, you know, know who I was. So it's kind of that continuity and, and, and passing things on. I think that's where we could be better. So chains aren't broken because all the kind of legendary coaches aren't actually in the in the sport anymore. But something like a throws fest, you know, like Claire says, a throws fest, a meeting, uh, one one evening, be a tent, very important. Um, <laughs> you know, with all the different age ranges, all the different um, throws events on, sounds like something. It's a bit like the the night of the ten thousand um, PBs. When you explain that to someone, it doesn't sound like something that's going to be a huge success. It is, there are thousands of people show up, you know, and we then talk about it all year. I can't help thinking if you did, it's like if you, if you build it, they will come. You know, I can't help thinking if there was something like a Throws Fest on that it would be a big success and people would, would come and it would raise the profile of the events and get people talking. So just throwing it out there, guys, do you want to organise one? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all I was, all I was thinking. <laughs> It, there was just a lack of a beer tent. I think that's what we're missing. <laughs> Seriously, it makes a big difference. Yeah. <laughs> I talked about this recently. I met up with um, Abby Okoku, discus throw, who turned his hand. He's a management exec within rugby. So he has a sort of a structural understanding of, of sport. And he said exactly the same thing. And maybe that, maybe there's something in that. Maybe that's something 
I, I do think it's the sort of thing will be better centralized and funded. You know, maybe that's a better use of funding than, than I don't know where the fund goes at the moment in terms of the throws, or if it, even if there is any, let alone coaches. But um, if there were any, I think it'd be money well spent. I agree. It'd be great. I'd go. Yeah. Okay, sweet. So Bayo's on beer tent. Steve, we're going to put you on infrastructure. <laughs> Goldie, if you could be gathering up all the legends. Actually, Steve, yours was the idea of the encyclopedia. Do you mind doubling up? You can do the event and the encyclopedia, and we'll just be there with bells on, and we'll do a promo pod. We'll get, we'll, you know, we'll spread. Jody's the word. head of cheerleading. Head of cheerleading. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's safe to say that. There are things that can be done, but I think patience and investment are probably the key ingredients. It doesn't sound like it will happen overnight. You're not going to dip those sheep straight away. I, I agree. Fingers crossed. Let's hope that we'll put our heads together uh, separately, Goldie, and uh, see what we can come up with. That's yes. all, we, all we wanted to do here. We just wanted to bring you together, you know, and put those, <laughs> put those, plant those seeds. That was our, our job is done. <laughs> our the job answer, is done. The answer is a beer tent in conclusion. <laughs> there we go. Sorted. Just made my edit job so easy. I'll just take that line and we'll put it out. Javelin, fix. <laughs> if only we'd known that I had the solution all along. So. <laughs> um, thank you so much for coming and giving your expertise. I mean, I'm glad that we asked you because it seems that no, no one else has. And even if this just plants a little seed um, in the people who listen to our podcast and maybe, you know, the authorities will have a little... little inspiration to do something because it's such an iconic event for me it's the most enjoyable throw to watch i think for everybody it's the most dramatic it's the goes the furthest it like it's it's the, the flight of the javelin is like an iconic thing in athletics and i just think it's a real shame that we don't have anyone even in participating or um who's uh, even just at any level at the moment and this might be really dropping the pair of you in it, but just to clarify, you are open to young aspiring javelin throwers to reach out, right? You do want people to come to you and try and get better and try to grow the sport again in this country. Yeah. For sure, 100% would help anyone who asked. It's really good to hear and allows me very nicely to link into asking where people can find you on social media if they want to reach out. <laughs> um, I'm just at Goldie Sayers. I need to get a bit more prolific, but I'm very unprolific on there but yeah I am um, yeah it is just as Steve says I think people just it's like you're willing to help people who um ask for help actually and are keen because you want to know that they want to do it so occasionally I'll get requests from parents but then you kind of think well does the child actually want to do it <laughs> that's my biggest thing you have to be a bit mad to you know dedicate your life to kind of applying your trade in the middle of, middle of a muddy field and not a very plush <laughs> kind of indoor tennis centre or something. So, yeah, you, you kind of want the slightly odd ones. <laughs> like us, you mean? Yeah, like us. <laughs> <laughs> My name will get you, we'll find Steve underscore Backley, I think it is on Twitter and, yeah, Facebook or whatever. Yeah, we're, we're, we're not hard to find. Well, the boys are prolific, but they are hopeless at this part. Jodie, where can people find the pod on social media? So on Twitter, it's at BackstraightB, or you can just search the Backstraight Boys. And on Instagram, it's Backstraight Boys Podcast. I'm at Claire underscore G Thomas. You have been listening to our javelin troubleshooting, problem fixing, sheep dipping, honeypot <laughs> opening episode. Thank you very, very much for tuning in. And most importantly, thank you to Stephen Goldie for your expertise and passion. We look forward to you joining us again soon. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.